Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is the Senior Lecturer in Dance at Neathstower College. It's Craig Coombe. Hi Craig, how's it going? Hi, I'm, I'm, it's going well. Hi, how are you? How are you today? I'm good. How has lockdown been for you? How has this period it's been it's been really interesting i think is the word i choose to use challenging yes but um interesting mostly i feel um i have discovered i've, I've discovered new ways of reimagining my my plans my experience my professional agenda everything has changed this year but um but for the better i think i i i've really embraced the change and as a result of that i have discovered a lot of new ways of of teaching um, dance and of creating dance with with young people. And do you think there are certain um, techniques that you will still use even when we're out of this period? Yeah, um, it's really it's a really interesting one, isn't it? The uh, the way we're all thinking about how lockdown and the virus can benefit us today as much as it mm. can in the future. And I mean, obviously. Being on lockdown has had its uh, has its low moments, but I think for me it's um, it's really identified um, in my own practice what's important and what continues to be important and can be carried on um, in the future. Things um, like, gosh, I had hardly any online um, classes and uh, the use for online technology was very, very minimal. Mm. And I think I've realized that it's not as tricky as I initially thought to embed uh, the use of technology into dance classes, but in ways that is completely different to how I thought I would embed them. Even now, as we're on the the January lockdown, um, to be honest, January is the time of my academic year where I'm quite... I'm quite happy to be on a lockdown because it means I can focus on um, getting my students through their evaluations and their paperwork Mm. um, that usually would be delayed as a result of going back into the studio, maybe too early. So in the future, I might be looking at January as being a bit of a theory, written, write-up, evaluative time and I don't think I would have uh, concluded that if I hadn't had lockdown. That's really interesting. It, it has really kind of affected so many artists and, and educators as well in terms of, of the way yeah. they work and can I just say teachers in general throughout this pandemic have had a hard time so yes. like hats off for you and what you're doing. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think um, using the word reimagined is something that I've done a hundred times already. I I didn't know um, what what would be coming at any stage mm. of this, like so many teachers, and uh, it's it's certainly been a challenging <laughs> time. My workload, I feel, has gone through the roof because though we have the content of our of our lectures and our sessions sorted Mm. i mean what's relevant in that content for delivery and for assessment now it's it's up in the air still it's like juggling with jelly Mm. sometimes i catch some and sometimes i don't Mm. and uh, even now the question is what are we assessing students on um because though the news is very quick to broadcast you know all exams are cancelled 
what they fail to broadcast is that though the exams are cancelled, the teachers still have to assess all the students. And therefore, we still have to have um, methods of assessment in place. And uh, that's where it leaves us uh, reimagining our schemes of work and our assessment plans quite a lot. Yeah, I can imagine huge amount of work for you to do uh, but the first thing I want to ask you is how did you first get interested in dance and what were your early experiences like as a child and a young person yeah I mean for me I was uh, a child young child growing up in the 80s and then a teenager in the 90s and uh, as I approach 40 now I'm an old man now as I approach 40, I, uh, I, I feel myself looking back at, at that time and realising how much time has passed. Um, even now realising that I started university 20 years ago seems, um, seems bizarre to me because I still feel full of life, though, though I can feel those, uh, those changes in my body happening as, as I approach 40. But um, for me as a child of the 80s and 90s, dance was just something that was unheard of in, in Neath, um, in the area that I was growing up in. It was certainly not something that boys got involved with. Um, I, it was something that maybe my sister and her friends did on a Saturday morning, maybe as a hobby. But um, no, it was not even something that I showed interest in um, nice. as a child. I think the closest I got to um, any dance enjoyment was being uh, a fan of Kylie Minogue and just copying her dance routines off the television. And I do have early memories of being about five or six and just rewinding the video over and over again yeah. to learn to learn dances of hers. But I certainly never thought of it more than just a fun game, really, that I did. Um, for me... Um, my way into dance was definitely through the theatre and through and through acting and drama. Right. Um, in school, I was really interested and enjoyed um, drama classes as a way of, I think it was as a way of being a little different to what was offered to a lot of boys at my school. I mean, unless you were a rugby player or a football player, you, you, you didn't really have much else to do in terms mm. of hobbies. And so drama class provided just uh, an environment where I, I felt safe to explore um, who I was and to be who I was mm. um, as, a, as a 14, 15 year old boy that was slightly different from the average. And um, so for me, taking drama then at uh, GCSE and then for A-level at yes. college, um, opened up just um, experiences with new friends, with new people. And it was through that that I discovered dance. I found myself being not a very particularly gifted dancer at that t- that time, but I was someone who liked the idea of being a dancer or being a backing okay. dancer and uh, and performing through dance. I had I had major issues with my speaking voice when I was around about fourteen to sixteen, okay. seventeen, eighteen. I was um, I was really nervous to talk, and this people to people today would never realise that. Um, but I was I was very frightened to talk. I was very frightened to answer, ask questions, and um, it was all to do with the camp quality of my voice. Right. I just um, was very frightened to speak, um, and when I was doing a lot of plays um, and being cast in roles. And remember, this is the late 90s, so yes, there was a certain um, change with regards to mm. uh, gay rights and things like that. For me, I, I felt like I shone every time I spoke um, because I've got um, a recognisably, um, let's call them gayisms, I don't really know what to call them, okay. but I, ne- I never knew I had them, but every time I spoke, everybody else seemed to identify um, there was something different in the way that I spoke. In a negative um, sense? Or... Yeah, in a really negative sense. I, I was quite frightened of it because I experienced quite a lot of um, abuse from okay. peers and even from people in general the general community. It was a case of um, a lot of uh, abuse was hailed at me oh, and goodness. I thought my voice was a lot at the time um, something that identified that. So... When I was uh, at college, I was asked by, there was a teacher at college who wanted to start up an AS dance class. 
and my ears pricked up and I was like yes I'd really like to do that mm. I love the idea of um of just dancing and it was a great medium because I didn't have to talk I didn't have to speak and so I was able to put forward my skills without yeah. the embarrassment of um well to, to put it to put it bluntly, of of being perceived as gay in everything that I did. And I wasn't comfortable with that at that okay. age. So dance hid me. Well, I thought it was hiding me. It probably wasn't. But I thought it was um, allowing me to express without the shining torch of, uh, of um, my voice. So through that, I started AS Dance and uh, I was quite flexible and um, quite skinny. So I was uh, able to put my body in shapes and be thrown around the room. And it took off from there. I changed my options um, at university from English. I was dead set at becoming a writer and a journalist. And I changed my options to dance and theatre. And uh, I ended up um, going to university. And that's really where my dancing properly started. So what what was your time at university like? Um, how how much of a sea change was it from this this young lad from Nice going away to university? What was what was that like? Um, it was again looking back at it, it really was reflective of the times. I um I really um I really feel like even twenty years ago, so much has changed with regards to how people are perceived. I mm. think I don't think it's just to do with me being older. I think it's to do with the way everything works now. And university, looking back, seems quite old-fashioned. Okay. Seems um, quite um, stuck in its ways, even down to the buildings that I was taught in. But I'm basing that on what what it's like today. Looking back at from from my eighteen-year-old self going up to um, Bedford and living just 40 minutes from King's Cross in London. I mean, I was just excited. I was just happy to get away from Neath. I felt very confined in Wales and in Neath. I felt very trapped. I felt like it didn't provide me with um, an opportunity to explore who I wanted to be. And and it just felt completely empty of of anything creative at that time. so moving up to Bedford and actually meeting other male dancers, meeting other people that respected dance, because in Neath it was almost like the, the secret thing you did and no one really respected it. Um, so moving to Bedford yeah. and starting studying, I realised there was a whole, a whole industry out there that respected dance as an <laughs> academic subject and as a, as a vocation. So um, I really enjoyed my, my time at, at De Montford University. I, um, I think it was exactly the right place for me mm. um, at that time. I think um, I needed that transition from being very much a new and non-dancer. And I felt the three years there caught me up on the stuff that maybe I would have learned in dance at a younger age. And it also caught me up to a level that was, well, that was d- degree, degree standard. And uh, I really value the, the, the teachers that I, that I learnt from there as well. So going into that course, did you feel confident enough to say, I am a dancer, this is what I do? Or was it a p- process or, or something that you began to feel comfortable with as the course went on? Um... I definitely didn't go up feeling confident. I think I went to the clothes shop, bought all the clothes (laughs) that made me look a little bit more like a dancer and hoped that I would wing it and people would just (laughs) believe that I was a dancer based on on the clothes that I was wearing. Um, and, um, And it worked to an extent. I do remember getting some comments on, oh, you look like a dancer. But I was also very aware that after the dance class, I didn't have those comments from those same people. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not sure I really was. Um, I was um, as good or as able as I would like to have been, certainly through my first year and second year. I think um, I always felt in the shadow at, at, at De Montfort University. I always felt in the shadow of the more talented and more experienced dancers. Right. But I was very willing to learn and very willing to try out new things. 
And for me, I hadn't really discovered what dance properly was. I still thought at that stage, even at university, it was um, it was backing dancing. It was um, it was aiming towards being a, a pop star or something. I hadn't quite found my okay. niche of what dancing was. And um, one of the things I now instill within my students aged 16 to 18, I try to teach them the things that I wasn't taught at their age and the things that I feel like I should have been taught before I went to university. And and it's very much driven, definitely driven the early part of my teaching career because I do feel like, um, I felt like coming back to Wales I realised what I needed to know right. in leaving Wales at, at their age. So it's definitely transitioned through. And you went on to study at Trinity Robin. Just wondering yes. how those two courses compared and, you know, sure. what, what you found was, as a non-dancer, what was the difference? Um, well, for me, going on to Laban felt like a natural progression from the course I was right. on. Um, I had my teachers and my lecturers at De Montfort um, were very um, were very caring lecturers and they gave me a lot of time I felt and um, both um, both my I had a number of lecturers drama and um, more drama based more dance based. But there was a couple of them that also trained at Laban themselves. And even when I was auditioning for um, dance schools to do postgraduate courses after mm. university, I was still in year three of university, quite embarrassed to even share that with my peers and my teachers because I didn't feel um, I was capable um, of doing right. something like that. I was still very underconfident as a dancer even though I was dancing in all the in all these pieces of work and studying it, um, I still hadn't quite found that belief. And um, interestingly, then, when I did start auditioning, I started to find that confidence through the audition processes for places like Laban. I auditioned at North and at The Place, at Erdang, mm-hmm. at London Studio Centre. And um, it was through those processes that I found I was coming back then into my third year growing in confidence because I was learning for the first time the wider world of dance and I was meeting people from other institutions because up until that point I'd really been quite closed and bubbled with regards to the dancers that I'd been dancing with and so then when I got offers I got some offers coming in from places like Burdang and Northern and Laban and um, I was torn between where I wanted to go next And I chose Laban. It just felt like a fit. It felt like an obvious choice. Um, The the skills that I'd learned at university, I think the benefit of having some lecturers that also had experience of training at Laban, I think I just saw something in the Laban tuition that appealed to me. Things like the thinking dancer approach. And uh, and the choreographic element. That's Mm -hmm. always been something that's um, been of interest to me. And, uh, and, and I wanted to pursue that. Were you doing much in terms of your own choreography at this stage? Was it um, you had a lot of experience in already? Or? I, did, I did feel more confident in choreography over um, the other types of um, over dance performance. Right. I wanted to be better at dance performance. I wanted to feel more confident there. But at uni, that hadn't quite come. Um, but choreographically, it had. I remember choreographing a piece that I, I remember I called it Showgirls. It was the first piece of choreography that I did at uni. And um, the Moulin Rouge, Baz Luhrmann's, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin yes. Rouge just um, come out in the cinemas. And it was all very showgirl. And I was very influenced by that time as I was, I think I was transitioning from a popular culture dancer choreographer because that's all I'd ever been exposed mm. to to something more experimental. And um, this this dance was probably the transition between the two. And it was that um, dance that I go, oh, do I choreograph something that's really um, um, questioning and artsy and experimental? Or do I choreograph something that's entertaining? Well, I went down the entertaining route and I choreographed this showgirls number. Yeah. And, um, and through that, I learned that there was a place for audience appreciation there was a place Mm -hmm. for entertaining an audience 
but it was probably the last and only time I've choreographed a piece um, of that nature. Wow. From that moment on, I started experimenting. It was almost like I got it out of my system, and then I started experimenting with approaches, postmodern approaches, as, yeah. as we all do in our degree. <laughs> year two is postmodernism, and Pina Bausch definitely comes into our own there. <laughs> Um, mm. And I enjoyed exploring those those choreographers. So by by year three, I was very interested in choreographic devices, and I choreographed um, a solo. I remember to a piece of opera by uh, sung by Kimi Takanoa. Right. I think it was Puccini's. Oh, I forget the title. Um, something from La Bohème by Puccini, and um, I choreographed a solo. I painted my body red in red paint, and covered the stage in red petals and projected red petals falling onto the stage now looking back 20 years ago that was that was done with a vhs video wow. <laughs> recorded, and i had to carry the video camera on my shoulders and i had to film falling petals Goodness. it was not easy but i remember having a really um groundbreaking kind of breakthrough doing that solo and uh, it was from the teachings of of that and the exploration of that, and then mm. led me on to do a, a large piece of group choreography for my end of year degree show. And I think it was all this at that time that was mm. leading me to go to Laban, though I, I primarily wanted to go to Laban to strengthen my dance skills. Yes. And I do think that that's what Laban did. I think Laban gave me the confidence to believe that I was a dancer. And I think all uh, the teaching yeah. and learning that I did at De Montfort was then put into vocational practice at Laban. And that day in, day out training mm -hmm. of jazz, ballet, contemporary, that's where I became a dancer. And I don't think I could have, I don't think I could be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't have gone to Laban. That's um, really it interesting. Was, it, was that, it was that time at Laban that gave me it just gave me what I needed that maybe I was missing because I hadn't danced through childhood. It kind okay, of caught yeah. me And not, not, only, not only that particular time too, but I've gone back to love numerous times over my, my career so far mm. and done the summer schools there and workshops there. And it does always feel like going home to the mothership. It feels like returning to somewhere that has crafted me and it's the one place that I do feel at home um, when I go back there, even That's today. Fantastic. And you get like, is it almost like a reboot of your skills? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, re it really is. I would love to go back to De Montfort, though, because I've never been back there in, you... in 20 years. Wow. Um, I've never been back there. And um, it's really, I, I was my home for three years and I, and I loved it, but... For some, it's quite far away. It's like four and a half hours from here. <laughs> it's not easy to get to. But um, I would love to go back there, and I would love to um, um, be just even to teach and do a workshop there or something. Mm. I would love to, or, or take part in a workshop. I would love to um, go back there because there's a special place that uh, I started my my career there. Really, I'm going to move on slightly because we've got quite a lot to get to. But you became a lecturer in the Potomac College after finishing your Masters. So can you talk to me a bit about coming back to Nitt after being away? And what was that yeah, like? Sure. And how well, did it affect your early years as a dance lecturer? Sure. And well, well, I, well, well, I, actually, so if, if I can go back a little, first of all, like, how did you make that decision to come back? And was it difficult kind of to break through into the industry after graduating? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, number one, did not want to be a teacher, a lecturer, a tutor of any, any, uh, any shape or form. That was not um, what I wanted to do at all. In fact, I actively rebelled against that right. um, because I wanted to be a performer and I wanted to work as a dancer and a performer. And that's all I saw. And again, I think even now I very much practice that teaching with my students where I try to learn from my own mistakes. And I talk about how actually as a dancer, you need to have, though you may have your primary idea of what you want to do and goals with your careers is so important to have a secondary 
goal as well that supports those th- those um, choices. Right. I'm a big believer of not having an A plan or a B plan. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. But I do think as a dancer, you need to go, what does a dancer mean? And it doesn't just mean being a dancer. It means being multiple things. Um, for me at that time, I hadn't learned that yet. And I just thought, I'm going to be a dancer or I'm going to fail. And right. there was those two options. And it was actually a tutor at uh, Larbin, Veronica Jobbins, wonderful, wonderful tutor, who advised me to take, uh, I, had a, I had a free hour and a half on my timetable. And she advised me to take teaching studies. And I did not want to take it at all. I can remember sitting in her office going, I don't want to take this unit. Yeah. Anyway, I did take it. And it was taught by a wonderful lecturer called Ali Jones. And she was hands down one of the best lecturers I've ever had. And it's her alone that motivated me and inspired me and taught me how to be a dance teacher. And to this day, I still draw from the teachings of her. So from that, that's where it started that I could go home. And that's where teaching started appealing to me. but what really happened was, just out of love, but I got a job within the first three weeks of leaving. Okay. Love, and it was a touring job with a theatre company, a children's theatre company. Mm. And I toured around the country um, for about four months. And then I ended up going to New York for some time. And then I came back probably about six months after I graduated. And... Uh, I moved home because I was broke. I was broke. I had no money and I had to pay off my loans. I had like, I don't know, a 30,000 pound loan. I had to start paying off and I was, I had no money. So I moved home with the intention of saving some money Mm. through teaching, through teaching at primary schools, which I did. But then you see, oh, I met, I met Vicky Burrows and Vicky Burrows is my current head of school. I know Vicky, yeah. And back in those days, um, she was the dance teacher at Neath College. She was the A-level dance teacher at Neath College. And we shared a studio space at Pontedowie Arts Centre. I would teach after her on a Tuesday night. She would finish teaching GCSE dance for the college, and I would teach contemporary dance classes that of an evening. And we just made friends. And Mm. through that, then she told me about a job going at the college for about four hours a week. I, well, I initially applied for the drama job at the college, actually. Right. Um, I thought a way into the college, get them noticing me, would be to apply for the drama job. I don't I don't believe I ever wanted to have the drama job. I just wanted to be noticed <laughs> by the people that uh, were employing dance teachers. <laughs> so, and then it worked, though, because a few weeks later, I had the call saying, would I like some hours on dance? Yeah. And then I started teaching. And... It was a big transition coming back, and I didn't believe that I'd come back either. And every single, and I was, and I was there initially for five years. Um, and every single year of those five years, at the end of the academic year, I would say to my colleagues, "I'm not coming back in September because I'm going back to London. I'm going back yes. to London. I'm going back to London." And it was those first five years that I was still dancing a lot. I was dancing with Danyon and Beyond Repair, and I was doing independent projects. I feel like I was my busiest ever, but mm-hmm. I was holding down this part-time job at Neath College. And the problem was, I loved it. I loved the job, right. and I was a little bit addicted to the job. Right. But I did, I did go back to London for a year. That's when I did my master's. So I didn't go straight from Larbon to I my see. master's. I went back to college for five years and then I was allowed I was allowed to have a sabbatical of sorts for a year and mm. then I did my master's at Roehampton University and uh, it was so for me it was the Roehampton University master's decision was really the pinnacle of a fantastic five years I did so many wonderful things through my 20s and then when I was about 28 I thought right going back to London now this is going to be the icing on the cake this is going to be amazing yeah and it was and it was amazing and I really enjoyed my time at London I loved Roehampton again another excellent institution which gave me my master's and I discovered my love for beauty in dance whilst I was there And um, for me, it took me back full circle because I really started um, investing in dance at Roehampton. But whilst there, I realised how lucky I was. And I realised that I did not want to spend 
my 30s being a job in dancer um, struggling in London right. I wanted to be a lecturer at Neath College so was it because... an, was it an easy choice then or was it at that that moment of realisation that you described did it yeah, all become um, a lot clearer it, well it did feel like an easy choice yeah it, it actually did um, it felt like the right choice it didn't feel like an, it didn't feel like an easy choice because um because no i don't know it felt like the right choice it felt like mm. the right choice i think um an easier choice for me would have been oh i don't know to to not to not have the responsibility of being a lecturer um, <laughs> and a really fun job and 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 have some more enjoyment outside of my career but I was addicted to to my to my la- my life my working life, and uh, it was the right choice to return to Wales, and to continue teaching. And from that moment on, I feel like I've invested in lecturing more than ever. What did surprise me, though, because at that time there was a lot going on with um, a lot of dance companies started closing. There was lots right. of um, things linked to the Olympics and. Funding changed, mm. a lot changed. So when I did return back to Wales, I was actually very surprised. A lot of the companies, a lot of the organisations that have been very active for five years, mm. they seem to not be there anymore. So it, it was really um, quite, I thought I was going to come back to Wales and continue where I sort of left off. To be honest, that didn't happen. And I remember then that next phase of teaching, the students' opportunities, they seem to be less as well. The world seems somewhat changed. Was it, al- think- was it almost like that period in the 90s when the TIE companies closed? When, yeah. Do you know, you were that period in Wales? Yeah, um, I'm not overly aware yeah. of it, but I do know that um, there seems to be a ricochet effect over what, what happens with funding and what yeah. happens decision-making and definitely I noticed about 2010, 11, 12, a lot of the things that were very vibrant through 2005 to 2010 seemed to disappear in the area. It was like, oh, what's happened? Where are all these things that were going on? Mm. There were big changes that were going on in in Wales-based organisations and I I definitely noticed a shift when I returned back from from London. But it it provided... um, good opportunities for me because I ended up then just um, progressing further in my role at the college. Fantastic. I was wondering uh, if next you could talk a bit about your choreographic process. Um, Sure. Does it differ depending on what you're working on and how has it kind of evolved throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, for me, that that is such an interesting question. It's uh, such an interesting thing to think about. Um, the number one, I feel like it's ever evolving, and I feel like uh, now at this stage of my uh, of my career, I feel like I have choreographed. Oh my gosh, I have choreographed <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of dance, right the way from maybe um, you know the phrases that you do in technique classes, mm. right the way through to the, the phrases that exist in the moment and they're just performed once or twice in an hour session right the way through to solos, to duets, trios, quartets, big group pieces, big... <laughs> oh, there's so many pieces of choreography I feel like I've, I've choreographed in the last 20 years. Most, and some will only exist in my head as well, but most, I think, have existed <laughs> okay. on the body. Um, the process itself is always different. I do feel I've, I've come to a, a stage where I'm comfortable in experimenting less now, there are a lot of programs yeah. I know that would go, oh, oh gosh, never, <laughs> never stop experimenting and all that. Well, do you know what? I, I quite enjoy, I quite enjoyed um, experimenting a little less because I would say there's a big pressure on choreographers and dancers to be different and to choreograph new things and different things and to, oh gosh, reinvent the wheel a billion trillion times over. And for me, as a as a watcher of dance and someone who's been watching it for a number of years now, to be honest, I'm really bored of reinvention. It's wow. something that when I go to the theatres today, I watch the, the next generation being really excited about the dance they've just watched. And I love yeah. the fact that they are really excited about the dance they just watched. 
What I don't enjoy is the fact that everyone thinks it's the first time that a dance like this has been created and it's also new and innovative. It's not. I went through that process as well as an as a, as a 18, 19, 20-year-old. And guess what? It wasn't new then either. It was just new to me and it's just new to them. And um, I think the industry is, um, is, is very good at going, ooh, wasn't that different and innovative? And... Mm-hmm. I'm just of a, of a time, maybe an age, of where I'm going, it wasn't, it was really awful, and I saw this 20 years ago, and nothing has changed. Um, and that's more of a, a, of a thing that drives my process. Mm. And I, in the last five years, I have smoothed my processes out, and I found formula, formulas that work for okay. me. And uh, I do choreograph differently, depending on the outcome that I'm choreographing for. Um, for me, the um, the newest um, string to my choreographic bow um, is my Christmas production that I now choreograph every year. Yes. And mm-hmm. for me, that's one of the most joyous pieces of choreography that I'm involved in because it, it allows me to escape into a theatrical dance narrative probably from about July to December every year. And it doesn't trap me um, in the same way as choreographic exploration mm. does. There's a place for that. And I think that's what um, a lot of my, the majority of my other practice is very choreographically analytical and explorative. But I have enjoyed creating a formula for the Christmas dance production. Fairy so, so tale formula. So you have a story. So you have the King Arthur myth. You have the Wizard of Oz. You have Peter Pan. Yes. Um, you have that story. So do you break it down into its constituent parts, and then what's the adaptation process? Sure. Um, for me, I think the the uniqueness, maybe that's I don't know if I want to use the word unique, but the the thing that the Craig Coombs thing that I do. Yeah is um, I think all my contemporary original thinking, creative training, is what makes my process a little different in the way that I approach the fairy tale. Because I don't approach it thinking that it's something that I want to mimic or copy or, or in that way. I do still approach it with a lot of exploration, a lot uh, with originality. It's not mm. something that I go, right, I've got this idea and then I want to create, recreate it. I have an idea, but I want to, f- to find out what that idea could eventually become. So take, take in the original fairy tale. I look at maybe the modern day adaptations, but I really focus on the, on the, on the original themes within that plot line or story. Mm. And for me, it has to be about um, communicating a modern day version of that story, but at the same time, respecting the tradition. So I I do sometimes use this expression um, about being revolutionary, but respecting the tradition of the fairy tale. And I think finding that that blend is what is what gets the audience's heart racing. It's that unexpected shock of seeing ruby slippers that when you didn't expect to see them or seeing Peter Pan flying because you almost forgot that he flies yes. when you see in a whole new way. And um, the moment where you almost forgot you were watching the fairy tale of King Arthur and then yet um, he pulls the sword from the stone. You go, oh my gosh! And it hits the audience in a way that surprises them. So I think audience emotion and getting a reaction from the audience has always been something that drives me. I, I, I get very uh, instinctive reactions when I'm choreographing. But I very much task and tool and trial and and every single year um, I work on this because I'm working on, this is my sixth year and I'm going to have my seventh show next year. Right. I've discovered, I feel I've invented my own um, formula for the show. So um, every year there is certain things that say, "Ah, oh, this is the this is the this is Craig's show," and they, people can identify the elements that I've got. 
but at the same time every year follows a different story. I I've compared it in the past to there's a pantomime formula, there's a musical formula, and now um, there is a formula that I've created for the uh, students. So there's a structure to it that is the same yes. every... And, you know, these these fairy tales can be quite, in the original, it's quite dialogue-heavy. I mean, dance, yes. you don't have dialogue. So no. what, what techniques do you use sure. to, to replace... Yeah, you're right. I mean, the original fairy tales themselves, and I mean, um, my my personal interest in fairy tales is 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 there. I, I'm very, very interested in in fairy tales within my personal life too. So again, this was another good example of personal life and, and professional yes. life merging. But um, yeah, in terms of no dialogue, that's for me, it doesn't even feel like a challenge. I can't, uh, I can't explain it, but it feels just so natural that there wouldn't be dialogue because the storytelling comes from the physicality of, of the students right. and, and the body. I, I do um, use the term Mickey Mousing quite a lot when I'm rehearsing. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I often tell the students to imagine that they are um, at Disney World and they're dressed up in one of the Mickey Mouse costumes. Yeah. And when Mickey Mouse is doing this, they've got to over-exaggerate all the hand mm. gestures and the waving. And the students at first, it can feel quite unusual um, gesturing just for the sake of gesturing to music. It doesn't always feel, well, in fact, I don't think it does feel natural. But from the audience looking in, it just seems to make perfect sense that that's yeah. what they would be doing. Yeah. There's no stillness, there's just constant movement. Mm. And that way of, um, I make you know the joke of, you know, we're going to do all this in this scene, we're going to show this, we're going to show that Peter Pan has done this and done that, and we're going to do all that through expressive dance. Mm -hmm. And somehow bringing it together works. I definitely find myself being uh, with music. I spend a lot of time looking for all types of music and I treat the music like a script. I so see. the music yeah. needs to be the, the script that we follow. And though um, it's obviously it's not a script, it provides the structure that I need. Mm -hmm. And I try to respect the original composers by not editing music. And I very rarely edit music. And whatever the music says I should do, I respond to that. And it's almost like I fit my idea yeah. with what the music has got. That's and then, really it, then it creates itself. That's fascinating. That's really interesting to hear more about that process. I'm going to move on, move on slightly. Um, you've appeared on The Kylie Show and you reached the semi-final of Sky One's Got to Dance. What were these experiences like? Because I'm aware that these are kind of high production value, commercialised TV programmes. And how did these opportunities come about in the first place? Yeah, um, they both both um, experiences are are two experiences that I feel I can draw from when I have to give um, my students examples of um, production for mass audiences across across the world, and um, both very different experiences and uh, both very different experiences to what my everyday life and training and background prepared me for. Right. I was not prepared to enter a world of commercial um, dance or popular culture dance. Everything that I was trained to do was studio-based and theatre-based. Um, God, I didn't even study dance on film. Well, I, I, funnily enough, I did look at musicals on film, but I didn't study dance on film or filming techniques and editing. I can't even edit music to this day. Um, I was, I'm not of a generation where, as I said, when I was studying, we were still using cassettes and VHS. So um, I've learned a lot over the COVID period. The fact that I'm doing this on, on um, a Zoom call is just, just <laughs> mind-blowing. But... Um, but no, I wasn't prepared to ever um, to do those things. But my training and my desire to want to do TV work, I was also of a generation where The X Factor had just started and Pop Idol had just started mm. and all these auditions on television had just started. So again, it was a transitional time whereby as a dance student, 
none of us knew what we were getting ourselves into anymore because the the, the rules were changing. So, um, well, first of all, the Kylie show. I mean, I I make no secret. I am <laughs> Kylie Minogue's official number one fan, and uh, I have been my whole life. And um, the the fanship of Kylie has been something that has kept me going in mm. in tough times as well. I mean, going to, training in dance is really tough, and um, my my thing that kept me going through all of it was I want to be a dancer for Kylie Minogue. I want to be a dancer. Yeah. I want to tour with Kylie. And um, I still want to tour with Kylie even now. And uh, even watching her latest tour, I'm like, oh, she's got some older dancers. <laughs> um, but um, that really was a, a thing that inspired me. And when I was um, training in um, De Montfort University, I went to see Kylie in concert. And I've seen her a few times. But in this particular concert, I was 19, and she spotted me in the audience, and she called me up on stage, and I danced wow. the chorus to Can't Get You Out of My Head with her. And that, for me, instilled, you know, I was a big believer, if you believe in something hard enough, then, you know, it yeah. can, you, can, you can make it happen. I don't think it just happens, but I think you can make it happen. And that, that, that opportunity for me, uh, that moment in time, really captured mm. that and I think it's it was a definite defining character moment for me so um when she when I saw that she was looking for featured dancers for IT, ITV1 uh, the Kylie show I just rung up and I think I probably sent some photographs through and they mm. invited me down to I think there was uh I think there was a audition call I, I've or was it an interview? I can't, I, I don't, I don't, it actually escapes me how, how I got to the studio now. But there was some kind of process of getting there. Yeah. And then when you got there, um, there was essentially, it was a day of filming. I mean, anyone that's done anything like this will tell you that it's not that exciting. And right. it was a long, a long day. And there was, uh, I think it was two days. And it was a long day. And there was a lot of hanging around. And you didn't see Kylie very much at all. Um, but when you did see Kylie... Oh my gosh, it was amazing because I was actually again blending my personal world with my with my dance world, and um, we were essentially just disco dancers and um, um, framing right. Kylie Minogue's performance. But I think what it taught me was there are still examples I use from that single experience of time is money, for example, or and yes. the, the professionalism behind the rehearsal process and the the. The professionalism that everyone has, has to instill when working under such pressures mm. to get so many films out. I mean, I think Kylie herself, she probably filmed about eight different sections Good of dance God. with different costumes on over, over that over one day alone. Um, did they, and did the kind of glamour kind of fall away um, after that experience for you? I think it might have done for anyone that wasn't already in the performing arts world mm. but for me it didn't because i know what i know what a tech is like i know what yeah. a dress is like and i know that we could be waiting here for an hour or we could be waiting here for four hours and that's just the way that that is so no not really and if anything um it showed me the type of professional um artist that she is because she was so professional and so respectful and so grateful and mm. thankful and it was a really, um, really good. I think whenever I've met any professional um, dancer, performer, especially those that are, um, are have achieved within their careers, yeah. um, they're always highly uh, respectful and highly thankful and such nice people. In fact, I often share with my students that the people in the industry to be aware of are the people that are not so kind. Mm. And yeah. it's usually those people that haven't really achieved much. And they're often people that are carrying a lot of baggage and a lot of, um, a lot of uh, just, just regret I, over not doing what they wanted to do. I had an experience recently with, with, a, with a writer who I did Zoom meeting with. And I just really? pitched him some things I was working on. And he, yeah. he was a disabled writer, a writer with, with CP in his 60s. I pitched him these ideas and he said, no, no, they're not original. You know, like anyone could have written that. Without yeah. that encouragement. And then, you know. Yes, you, I, I you, definitely. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely acknowledge that the people that have achieved and are um, a, a, a successful part of the business of the industry mm-hmm. are, are, in my experience, are very um, um, nurturing people. Mm. Now, yeah. Beyond Repair Dance, um, again, was a whole other experience because Beyond Repair started off as a contemporary dance company that was right. born of Jane Colston and Matthew Howells out of Laban. They met together at Laban. I didn't know them at Laban, though we did share the same time there together. We were on different courses. I'd seen, I'd seen Matt around, but we didn't know each other. We just had friends in common. Okay. And I met Matt um, through... Uh, doing the 25th anniversary of Denion and Carol Brown, because I was dancing with Denion at the time, which is an all-male um, Swansea-based dance company, Wales-based dance company. And um, I started dancing with them in that five years that I was home for before I went back to do my yeah. master's. And um, Carol Brown and Doug Comley, who were the, um, Carol Brown was the um, artistic director, CEO of Tan Dance, and then Douglas Conley was the um, choreographer for Denion. And uh, they organised a 100 men performance at Swansea Grand Theatre, wow. whereby they got 100 men and boys together to perform in the 25th anniversary of Denion. So they managed to get um, Henri Aguique on board. Henri Aguique is a choreographer um, who, again, has taught me so much. I, I, I worked as a youth dancer with Henri Aguique um, in National Dance Company Wales, and he was also from Swansea. Um, this was just a chance fate thing, I suppose. He was from Swansea and had also been in Denion. So Carol Brown invited him back to choreograph a special piece of professional dance on some of the male dancers. Yeah. So the male dancers that are trained, essentially. So. Um, I was part of that Denion group with Henri Aguique, and so was Matthew Howells. And so through meeting Matt via Denion, um, he then applied for some part-time work at Neath College. I think I recommended him. Yeah. And then he recommended me to Beyond Repair. So before we knew it, we were working at Neath together yeah. and in Beyond Repair. And it was at a time where we were like driving up, well, Matt did yeah. all the drive, actually. We were driving to London like every Goodness. weekend. Sometimes midweek, sometimes I would be on stage on the Saturday in London, and then I had to drive back on the Sunday, teaching A-level dance at New College. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I'm not sure if my ageing body could do it now, but um, it was a proper learning, mm. fantastic experience. Because I remember back in 2010, we had really heavy snow actually over a Christmas period. And literally in the snow, me and Matt would be driving, driving up to London. As the show must go on. Kidding. And I also share this story with my students all the time, saying that if you need something to happen, yeah. regardless of snow, it needs to happen. And it was um, Jane Colston, the choreographer, um, that actually um, entered us into Got to Dance. Right. And it was a real surprise because this wasn't the type of platform that any of us imagined beyond repair performing in and it, I, I, to be honest it was it was confusing it was like oh okay we've gone from dancing at cloud dance and at the place and and all these different contemporary dance to very mainstream to very very sky one davina mccall mainstream. yeah did it feel and, a bit wrong did it feel a bit wrong to be, on, to be honest to be if i'm truly honest it did feel a bit wrong if i'm truly honest it did feel a bit wrong um but I don't know if it felt wrong for Jane and for the crew, because I think she had a vision for what it was right. going to be. Yeah. But it was born of of Laban. It was born of something else. And um, I we went on the show and we went to the first round and we had a lot of positive praise and feedback. But I I did not enjoy um, my experience. Right. <laughs> <on the> dance. <laughs> um, to be, well, put it this way. Um, the semi-final performance that Beyond... I danced with Beyond Repair for two years and yeah. I had a fantastic time with them. And Sky One's Got to Dance was also a fantastic experience. And I value that and, I, and I, I've learned from that and I, and I teach I teach about that too. You know, I share my experience mm. through my teaching. But the semi-final of Got to Dance when the, uh, when the company was voted off that show mm. 
was the last time we've got to dance ever, oh, sorry, Beyond Repair ever performed right. as, as that five. Um, Beyond Repair has gone on to do some great things, and I know Jane has taken the company into a whole different realm right. of um, entertainment. But um, I never got the call again to perform That's after, really interesting. after that semi-final. And uh, I'm, I'm unaware that the five ever, we never got together after that. Yeah. And it was a shame because I, I, really enjoy, I really enjoyed that work. But I think the environment was just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very it wasn't. pleasant environment. Right. That competitivity was, was not nice. No. And um, behind the scenes, it was uh, very contrived uh very that, contrived that's what, yeah that, that's the impression you kind of get when you watch these shows yes. you hear it from someone who's had direct experience i'm gonna move yes. on slightly because i want to get a couple more things in before we finish and we are running out of time very very quickly so how because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic um, a large part of 2020 and early part of this year, you've been teaching on Zoom. What have been the challenges of this and how have your students adapted to this challenge? I think my students have been great. I mean, I feel very, very lucky. My attendance, my engagement across my sessions online have been very, very good. Um, I think I'm some of the highest attending students um, in my department. So they've responded really well to online. We've had done a number of different things. And when we first went online, it was very much like, how am I going to do this? How are we going to get through this? Um, Trying to keep your lessons on board. But behind the background, I was sometimes working 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. last summer for like two months just to get the um, administration side of things done. But the teaching online has been um, something I've had to really learn about. And this time round, I've really learned my spaces are different, the way I'm Mm. setting things up are different, the timetable is different. It's been accommodated of how best to get the best out of the students and and me as a teacher. Mm. Um, I think the main challenge has been what what I've noticed is in real life, you can actually come into the studio once a week and you can teach... 10 weeks and you can progress in in that way mm. and you can say okay we're going to do warm-up again we're going to do warm-up again next week then we're going to do these we're going to build upon these exercises on um, line you do something once it feels done it's a bit it's okay. a bit oh so we did yeah. that workshop on site-specific dance oh we did that workshop on site-specific dance we've we've done it now um there's only so much garden we can explore and <laughs> um and i think that's what I've noticed. It's like you do something once, it's very yeah. hard to do it again. I see. So that's been one of the main challenges. And, and then, of course, you know, lack of signal mm. and all the other things that we deal with. But the message to my students, even from my teaching today, is that we we can't compare what we're doing now and try to pretend that what we're doing now is what mm. we would be doing if we were in the studio or if we were face-to-face. No. So I've, I've, I've used the opportunity to go, we're not going to pretend. We're going to do other things. We're going That's to do really things useful. that exist within this environment and not things that should exist in another environment. And I think that approach has meant for more, um, more achievement overall. And how has it affected your students who are applying for conservatoires and dance schools? What effect has lockdown had on them? I think um, because I was on campus for that first term, though we were respectful of social distancing and all the mitigations that needed to be put in place um, to be on campus and to be safely practising on campus, I think the fact we were there has helped um, it feel a bit more normalised and they're, they're still getting the experience that maybe they, not exactly what they would have had, but they're getting a version of a practical face-to-face experience. Yeah. With regards to their progression to universities, um, fortunately, um, I found that all the um, applications um, to the schools and to the universities, well, they've become online too. And so the students right. practice in our online environment has actually 
um, been mirrored in the way that they've had to apply. In fact, that was a big change for me and some of my colleagues, that we had to have that discussion over the tips that we give people on the dance course to move off and to get be successful in auditions. They were now null and void yeah. because the tip now to be how do you how do you come across on camera? Um, how do you can you edit your video together? Yeah. Do you know how to email a video? It was all a completely different um, package. Very technical um, based skills as yeah, well. Very very different. But in honesty, they have flourished. I'm really really proud of them. They have shown me that some of the things are. I thought was difficult and I've often avoided because I thought oh no one can really do that I'm now all about just going gosh the things I thought was taking them five hours to do they're doing it in like two minutes um, so, so you're I, gonna I, push them so much harder when they get back in so much harder, so much harder. <laughs> they're doing things I didn't even know was possible and I'm like, oh, right. so we'll definitely continue with a lot of this stuff I think and finally what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in the industry, especially during this period? Mm. Oh, that's a, I've got to be wise now, haven't I? And try yeah. to sound like I have some advice that someone might take on board. Um, well, generally, I think anyone entering um, education, anyone entering education that is dance-centred or dance-focused, needs to um, acknowledge and appreciate that they may have um, a dream and they may have a vision. And the, <coughs> okay, because a lot of people that move into arts, especially performing arts, especially dance, do have dreams of becoming mm. something. My, my advice is <coughs> um, be gone through um, my, my adult life to my students has been, well, um, don't dream about it. Do it. Mm. Because I've met a lot of dreamers um, over, over the years. And actually, the dreamers don't go very far. It's the people that do it that go very far. And the people that knuckle down and realise that it's dreams are possible. But um, you've got to put the work in. And, um, and, I, and I really believe that it's the doers that, 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 that move on. I also think that um, anyone choosing dance as part of their education should choose it with the intention of having a career in dance, mm. uh, which is something that I think is overlooked so much by everyone. Um, I hear rumours of careers advisors just going, oh, you know, don't take dance, there's no career in it. Yeah. You know, what on earth are they talking about? Um, but I think... So many people are taking dance and not realising why they're taking dance. It's not enough just to go, oh, I love it, I enjoy it. That's really important that you love it and enjoy it, because that's always nice if you do something <laughs> you enjoy. But some days you're going to hate it. And some days yeah. it's going to be painful. And it's gonna be, you're not going to want to come and do that again after you've got sore muscles. So you've got to have a career goal. And that career goal needs to be realistic. And think about it being beyond just dancer what else can you do with a dance mm. qualification can it take you into journalism can it take you into therapies can it take you into all sorts of I, realms i remember the poster that you used to have outside your office outside the dance I studio I college and there's an outline of a dancer and there's this list of all different careers that are related to dance yes. i can't remember Many of them that were on there, but people don't think about how dance no. can benefit you in that way. They really do. Yeah. I'm so glad that poster has resonated in your yeah. mind. Yes, it's a, it's a lovely icon that I had the media, uh, marketing department create for me at the college. And it really was to try and hit home to students. And I was trying to attract academic students to take the A-level in dance, to realise that with an A-level in dance, you can actually go on and study all sorts of, of really high-profile academic subjects. You know, there was talk, um, I was talking to one of the um, gifted and talented lecturers at the college last year, and she was saying she actually had a boy that wanted to go and become a vet, and on his application was A-level dance. And it's wow. those things those skills, those discussion skills, innovative practice mm. skills that do take a student outside the box and maybe make for a for a, a, a stronger, more innovative thinking vet. Who knows? <laughs> but yes. um, 
yeah, that's my advice. My advice would be don't dream, do, and um, have a goal, a career goal. Remember, you're not taking dance at, um, at college or university because you are taking a, a, a hobby. It's not a Saturday. If you want to take dance as a hobby, then take it as a hobby. But if you choose to take it to get a formal qualification, then let's think from the off. What are you going to do with that formal qualification? In the same way as the people that are taking yeah. chemistry, physics, maths, and biology are going, I want to be a brain surgeon. Um, yeah. We should be going, I'm taking dance because I want to do this with my life. Thank you so much for your time, Craig. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank um, you very much. And I will see you on the next episode of In Lockdown With. I'm not sure who my guest is going to be yet, but um, I'm sure I'll have something in the pipeline by then. But for now, it's bye from me and it's bye from Craig. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.